everyone. Tough fudge row. I've got these more spots, more room, for a car, and I've got a lot to get through. So straight away, I'm going to start by playing you the opening track from Pierce McLaughlin's new CD with Nocturnes, and the album's called The Rest. I'll be sharing a thought on show. No fear of war. Top around, I 
Do I see the fear signs in your eyes? Please don't blow it all. Well, one more night together. Oh, it seems such a good idea that night. I see the fear signs I swear I still see the fear signs Hold your fire Hold your
What will follow our tomorrows when our actions have been done? Do you listen, really listen? Now the race is being run. Further feet along the street can show you what is gonna come. Empty shadows of their youth, the truth detects our father's son. Won't you fight the last battle with me? Won't you fight the last battle by my side? Won't you fight the last battle with me? Won't you fight the last battle by my side? Won't you fight the last battle with me? Won't you fight the last battle by my side? Won't you fight the last battle with me? Won't you fight the last battle by my side? Thank you. That was my good mate Colin Scallon, uh, who's uh, producing my album at the moment. When we get a chance to get the mastering done, the track was called The Last Battle and it was recorded live for me on the 2nd of August 2005. Before that, you heard a friend from London, Gideon Wagner, with The Fear Signs, which was released on the album God Bless America? Question mark. Uh, that was in 2001. August and Kay, the Rain and You, uh, an album, you are all Pierce McLaughlin, August Nocturnes, August Sheen Tijlata, er, No Fear of War, August on album, Sheen Tijlata, Erson, No The Rest. Anish, whilst rolling through the hundreds of recordings of programs I've produced and or presented at Dublin South FM, I came across a mini disc master of the History Show which was first broadcast on the 11th of March 2009. It was all about Grange Gorman Military Cemetery in Dublin 7, uh, and it would be a very interesting little spot for the amateur historian. So I re-recorded the show into Audacity and created an MP3 that I could share with all of you from 11 years ago. Porrick O'Sullivan creates a very atmospheric scene in this informative piece. It was the gates, and, of course, the glinting granite pillars. These gates must be over 12 feet high. They are painted a deep, regal blue, and the spearhead tops an ecclesiastical gold. I must have driven by these gates hundreds of times in the last 20 years, and every time I pass, I slow down. And intrigued by the stateliness of this imposing entrance, I have promised to, someday, stop the car and venture through these magnificent gates and discover finally what secrets lie within these fine, high-glistening granite walls. Today I'm in luck. The wicked gate is unlocked. The gate offers no resistance as I gently push it open and I step into another world. This is Grange Gorman Military Cemetery located on Black Horse Avenue, Dublin 7. 
opened in 1876. This cemetery holds the graves of over 800 army personnel and their families. After the formation of the Irish Free State in 1922, only ex-British army personnel and their next of kin could be buried here. Burials have taken place as recently as 2004. The cemetery and its graves are cared for by the Office of Public Works. Pat O'Loughlin is the gatekeeper and he keeps a good eye on the cemetery. The OPW look after it very well. I, we cut the grass on three, four times a month nearly. Yeah. You know, and then the, we have the gardeners would come in on three, maybe four times in every six months and then they tidy it up and clay here, there and replant grass, trim the trees. We do care, you know, yeah. the people themselves even that walk in it, in the area. We've kind of got into a situation where it's our home, like, you know, you look after it as if we had a garden or whatever, yeah. you know. And the same as us, we don't allow, we wouldn't allow them drinking here and cans and all this sort of thing, which is a, a normal procedure with graveyards of this, you know. And so I just come in, just check around, just to make sure nothing is here, and then back it forward, lock it up, you know. That's basic function to make sure that nothing or nobody is here or doing what they shouldn't be doing, you know. That's basically the whole lot of it, you know. Two magnificent American giant redwood trees overshadow the cemetery's avenue. These are unusual and not often seen in graveyards. Most of the trees one expects in graveyards are here. Pairs of English weeping yew, Irish yew and cedar of Lebanon, they're all here. But who are the inmates of Grange Gorman Military Cemetery? What stories can be told from these uniform limestone slabs laid out in perfect symmetry, all standing to attention in neat, endless rows? I met Patrick Lynch, a historian and a member of the Royal Dublin Fusiliers Association. Patrick began by explaining what he meant by the geography of death. Like uh, looking around the graveyard here, there's a concept that you must think of the geography of death. And if you look at the ages of the people, uh, if they had have survived, what would they have done? And also the red, uh, the uh, the diverse uh, regiments, because uh, people interested in the Irish participation in the Great War uh, mustn't necessarily think of Irish regiments, because there were a lot of Irish-born uh, people that served in other regiments. Okay, you might think of the Dublin Fusiliers, the Munsters, the Leinsters, but they were all over the place. And the Irish contribution in the early days of the Royal Flying Corps was uh, significant. The Victoria Cross is the highest award for valour and conspicuous bravery bestowed by the British Empire on its service men and women. Since its inception in 1856, there have been 206 awards to Irishmen, 37 of which were awarded during World War I. Grange Gorman Cemetery holds the mortal remains of one brave recipient, Martin Doyle, MC, VC. Now Doyle was a colourful character, 
Born in New Ross County, Wexford in 1894, he joined the British Army in 1909. He served in India with the Royal Irish Regiment and at the outbreak of the war in 1914 he was posted to France. He rose through the ranks to become Company's Sergeant Major and transferred to the 1st Battalion of the Royal Munster Fusiliers in 1918. It was here that he earned his first award for bravery, his military cross, in March of that year. However, it was later that year, on the 2nd of September, near the village of Riencore in Picardy, that Martin Doyle joined that select group of Irish Victoria Cross winners. On the 8th of May 1919, he was awarded his VC by King George V at Buckingham Palace with the following citation. For most conspicuous bravery, on the 2nd of September 1918, near Court, when acting as Company Sergeant Major, command of the company devolved upon him, consequent upon officer casualties. Observing that some of our men were surrounded by the enemy, he led a party to their assistance and by skilled leadership worked his way along the trenches, killed several of the enemy and extricated the party, carrying back under heavy fire a wounded officer to a place of safety. Later, seeing a tank in difficulties, he rushed forward under intense fire, routed the enemy who were attempted to get into it and prevented the advance of another enemy party collecting for a further attack on the tank. An enemy machine gun now opened up on the tank at close range rendering it impossible to get wounded away, whereupon CSM Doyle, with great gallantry, rushed forward and single-handedly silenced the machine gun, capturing it with three prisoners. He then carried a wounded man to safety and under very heavy fire. Late in the day, when the enemy counter-attacked his position, he showed great power of command, driving back the enemy and capturing many prisoners. Throughout the whole of these operations, CSM Doyle set the very highest example to all ranks by his courage and total disregard for danger. Martin Doyle was demobilised from the British Army in July 1919. He returned to New Ross, married and set up home. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Ireland was at this time in the throes of the War of Independence. Doyle, a highly decorated and experienced British soldier, joined the IRA. He served as an intelligence officer in Ennis County Clare during 1920-21. He carried out his role, sometimes at huge personal risk, and proved to be a valuable and patriotic resource in the struggle for Irish independence. After the truce, Doyle joined the Free State Army. He continued to serve in the Irish Army until his retirement in 1937. The lure of pensionable employment brought him to Guinness, where he worked as a security officer until his early death in November 1940, aged 46 years. Are shining in Picardy in the harsh of the silver dew. flowering in Picardy, but there's never a rose like you. And the roses will die with the summer time. On a dark path that may be far apart But there's one rose that dies not in a Picardy Tis the rose I keep in
As we chatted, Pat O'Loughlin gave me a fascinating account of his own family's loyalties and their connection with Michael Collins. Fam, father's family was connected to, as I said, Michael Collins. They have great friends of Michael Collins and that, you know. Mother's Italian. She was she had chippers in Parnell Street during the you know, she came over here when she was twelve. So she knew Michael Collins. One of the chippers that her family had was facing where Michael Collins had his, his secret uh, hideout in the back of the pub, but upstairs, you're in the back and then upstairs, so they knew him. Carden the whore now, I don't know if it's true or not, I never found out. I, thought, I used to think it was funny, she, she used to mind his bike when they came in, the family did, or her uh, older brother used to mind Michael Collins' bike and uh, she used to make the chips up for them. For them. You know, it was super going across. But there is also a Collins connection with Grange Gorman Cemetery. Here we are. Plot G281. Lance Corporal J. Ryan died 21st of February 1921. In 1921, James Shankers Ryan, as he was known, was a military policeman attached to the Dublin Castle garrison. Becky Cooper, his sister, was a well-known madam in Dublin's notorious red light district of Manto. Now long disappeared, Monto, or Montgomery Street to give it its full name, was located in the area bordered between Talbot Street, Lower Gardner Street and Amien Street. Monto was so well known as a centre for late night drinking and prostitution that it even got a mention in the 1903 edition of the Encyclopaedia Britannica. Ryan, who lived in the area, had been under suspicion for some time by Collins's intelligence network. He was suspected of informing on the whereabouts of two of Collins's key men, Paddock Clancy and Dick McKee. Their arrest and subsequent murder in Dublin Castle confirmed earlier suspicions. Ryan was now living on borrowed time. On Collins's orders, he was shot dead in Hines's pub on the corner of Railway Street and Gloucester Place on the 21st of February 1921. Two local children who witnessed some of the day's events told their story. First, Chrissy Hawkins from Railway Street, born 1907. I will never forget the day me and Maggie McCarran and her sister were playing skipping outside of Heinz's pub on Gloucester Place. Me and Maggie were turning the rope and her sister was skipping. We seen three men coming down the street, railway street. One of them looked into the pub and came back out. We heard him say to the others, he's in there. He was explaining where the man was sitting. They did not think that we heard him, but we did. They went into the pub and next of all we heard loud bangs. They ran from the pub up towards the 27 steps into Summer Hill and made their getaway. I didn't know that it was Shankers Ryan who was shot by the IRA. He was a policeman that lived in our street. I never seen him in uniform. He was always in plain clothes. Billy Dunleavy from Corporation Buildings, born 1907. I remember the time the IRA shot Becky Cooper's brother in Hines' pub in Railway Street. I was playing cards with some friends just outside Curran's Greengrocers in Gloucester Place. It was around 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning. The next thing, bang, bang, bang. We ran over to see what had happened. People came running from all around the neighbourhood to see what had happened. It was said he was spying on the IRA for the British as he worked in Dublin Castle. One of the cemetery's earlier impressive headstones is that of Captain M. Clark. Such was the formality of the period that I had to consult the burial register to find his full name, Michael. 
The register also informed me that Captain Clark died on the 27th of December, 1878, aged 60 and 9/12. Nothing like detail. His headstone reads as follows. Captain M. Clark, paymaster, 2nd Battalion, 18th Royal Irish Regiment, late adjutant, 8th Royal Irish Hussars, died 27 December 1878, aged 61 years. He was one of the 600 at Balaclava, erected by the officers, 2nd Battalion, Royal Irish Regiment. So, our Captain Clark here was part of the charge of the Light Brigade. Half a league, half a league, half a league onward, all in the valley of death rode the 600. Forward, the Light Brigade, charge for the guns, he said. Into the valley of death rode the 600. The charge of the Light Brigade was a disastrous charge of British cavalry led by Lord Cardigan against Russian forces during the Battle of Balaclava on the 25th of October 1854 in the Crimean War. Forward the Light Brigade, was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered. Theirs not to make reply, theirs not to reason why, theirs but to do and die into the valley of death, rode the 600. Tennyson wrote his poem to memorialise the British cavalry charge. 247 men of the 637 in the charge were killed or wounded. The number of horses killed was 362. Cannon to right of them, cannon to left of them, cannon behind them volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell while horse and hero fell. They that had fought so well came through the jaws of death, back from the mouth of hell, all that was left of them, left of 600. The charge of the Light Brigade is remembered for its courageousness as much as for its futility. Regardless of outcome or purpose, our Captain M. Clark, then Sergeant Major Michael Clark of the 8th Hussars, was part of the charge. He lived to tell the tale and is buried here in Grange Gorman. When can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made, all the world wondered. Honour the charge they made, honour the Light Brigade, noble 600. Patrick Lynch told me the story of his own relation buried here. We're just looking at the grave of uh, Patrick Mulholland. Patrick Mulholland was a, a sergeant in the, the Leinster Regiment and his last known address was 77 Ockram Street, which was opposite the church. And I think it's fair to say that Ockram Street Church at the time would have been the Catholic church for it. However, when he died in 1919, he died in what was then known as the King George V Memorial Hospital, which is now uh, Brickens. And uh, looking at his last will and testament, uh, he signed it with uh, an X. L looking again at it, it, it's reasonable to say that there were two p possible causes of death. One was the great Spanish flu pandemic, which killed more people th than the war, or uh, it could have been just war wombs. War wombs. And in, in thinking of war wombs, there were an awful lot of hospitals around Dublin besides uh, St. Brickens. And to this day, out in Leopardstown Park Hospital, uh, anybody who uh, served in the British forces can still technically uh, get a bed there. 
The single greatest disaster of the Irish Sea occurred on the 10th of October 1918 with the sinking of the RMS Leinster in rough seas. The Leinster, operated by the City of Dublin Steam Packet Company, was one of the mail boats that plied its trade between Dunleary, then named Kingstown, and Hollyhead. Three weeks before the end of World War I, one hour out of Kingstown, and with a total of 770 passengers and crew aboard, she was torpedoed and sunk by the German submarine UB-123. Of the total 530 lost, 340 were military. The 145 military bodies found were buried here in Grange Gorman in mass funeral ceremonies over three days. This created the largest concentration of war graves in any Irish cemetery arising from a single event. It's only when you look across these graves and see the same date, 10th of October 1918, repeated row after row, that you begin to get a sense of the scale of the tragedy. There are many touching stories from the Leinster. For instance, there's the story of the two military policemen who were escorting a deserter back to England. The Freeman's Journal of 12th of October 1918 carried the following item. An extraordinary escape from death was that of a military absentee or deserter who under the escort of two or three soldiers was being sent back to England on the mailboat. When the vessel sank, the deserter was rescued from the water and brought ashore, but of his escort he saw no further trace. That military police escort comprised of Corporals L. Hewitt and C. Billings. And they lie side by side here in Grange Gorman. But for me, the most poignant story is that of the Campbell family. Lieutenant Commander George Richard Colin Campbell, a dairyman, was the second highest ranking Royal Navy officer aboard the Leinster. Travelling with him were his wife Eileen and their four-and-a-half-year-old daughter, also named Eileen. All three were lost in the sinking. Eileen Campbell's body was recovered from the sea, with her child tightly clutched in her arms. Colin Campbell's body was found soon after, and all three are buried together here in Grange Gorman. The headstone over their grave has a sculpted ship's anchor, which appears to have a dual symbolism. Firstly, Colin Campbell was a naval officer, and secondly, a slip of paper was recovered from his pocket, on which was written, Cast all your cares on God. That anchor holds. And the band played waltzing Matilda As the ship pulled away from the quay And amid all the tears Flag waving and cheers We sail off for Galilee 
I discovered Australians buried here. It didn't make sense. First World War Australian soldiers buried here in Dublin. Geographically displaced from the horrors of the Somme and other theatres of war, I was puzzled. And then it was explained. Spanish flu, or the curse of the Spanish lady, as it was called. A form of pneumonic influenza, the Spanish flu spread throughout the world in 1918-19, killing millions of people. Private G. Barden, 48th Battalion, Australian Infantry, died 13th October 1918. George Barden was a 26-year-old farmer from the Atherton Tableland in Queensland. He enlisted in the Australian Imperial Force in early 1917 and had seen action in France during 1917 and 1918. Granted leave towards the end of September, he took the opportunity to visit family in Dublin. His grandmother lived in Rathmines. On the 8th of October 1918, Barden was admitted to King George V Hospital, now called St Brickens, suffering from pneumonia. Three days later, he had a temperature of 40.6 degrees and a pulse rate of 124. Over the next two days, his condition rapidly deteriorated and he died at 9pm on the 13th of October. George Barden was buried here in Grange Gorman with full military honours in the presence of his grandmother, an aunt and a family friend. Walsing Waltzing Matilda Who'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me And their ghosts may be heard As they march by the billabong Who'll come a-waltzing Matilda My companions on my journey through Grange Gorman, Patrick Lynch and Pat O'Loughlin, break off to have their own conversation. I just managed to catch the end of their chat. She? Who's the she they're talking about? If, if she does come here, it's obvious this would be the one she'll come to force anyway. Yeah. To see, probably test the water, to see what way things would go, you know? Yeah. But um, that, that's, as you can see, proximity to Artisan Ukraine. You know, it's 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 fall out the back door. Correct, and it, it's it is a secure area. You know, it could be secured very quick, very quickly. So, I would reckon, yeah, this would be it. So, will we go down to Patty Powers? Turns out to be none other than the Queen of England. And just in polite conversation, I casually ask if that would make her the first member of the royal family to visit Grange Gorman Military Cemetery. This this is where Anne came. Anne was here. Princess Anne, when she came to world, she came here, she walked in, three minutes here, walked out and she went down to the army horses, which is usual, but she was, uh, Princess Anne was here when she came to world in that time. Do you remember when she came to world? Yeah, she was she out came here into with this. the veterans in Leopardstown Park Hospital as well. I'm not sure whether she laid a wreath or what she did, she, she did come into this, into the graveyard anyway, you know, at that time. The breeze rises here in the cemetery. Magpies chatter in the mid-morning sun. Jack does, 
those omnipresent residents of almost every graveyard are perched in the tall evergreens. Their sinister cawing suggests their resentment to my intrusion. I make my way again towards the gates. I cross between the parallel lines of generations of military dead, segregated in death as they were in life, by religion and rank. I am reminded of the words of Thomas Kettle from his poem entitled To My Daughter Betty. In wiser days, my darling rosebud, blown to beauty proud as was your mother's prime, in that desire delayed incredible time you'll ask why I abandoned you, my own, and the dear heart that was your baby's throne to dice with death. And oh, they'll give you rhyme and reason, some will call the thing sublime, and some decry it in a knowing tone. So here, while the mad guns curse overhead and tired men sigh with mud for couch and floor, know that we fools, now with the foolish dead, died not for flag nor king nor emperor, but for a dream, born in a herdsman's shed, and for the secret scripture of the poor.
just heard Jude Shields and the so-called with a, an appropriate track titled Mail Order Coffin Blues from the shiny new album House of the Soul. August Rivershin v. Porikosuna wanted that piece of Tharawal, our Grange Gorman Military Cemetery. Now you see where the appropriate came in. And that was first broadcast on Radio Pumpala Clear Haas, Igovilis and Nee. August Anish, Set Bio or Wallace Bird, a British Edom, and Martha Govilis Akuig. It's another little gem I found this week when transferring mini disc recordings into digital archives. Wallace had a bit of a cough on a chilly night, but didn't want to let me or the audience down. And I love this passionate performance. Lucor, joy. Coming up now, I'm really looking forward to this. The sensational Wallace Bird. Give her a big hand, please, Wallace Bird. Uh, this first song I'm going to sing is called uh, Blossoms in the Street.
Thomas Kidd for giving me his capo <laughs> otherwise this night might not have been possible does that sound okay? Is that <laughs> okay um, alright th- uh, this one is about being with somebody and uh, everything they do is like chop 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 you know uh, I was with somebody I'm still with somebody and everything is really chop, 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 have to get stuff done now and then, you know, and it really pisses me off because I'm, I'm a quite a relaxed person and can't you tell? <laughs> I'm a relaxed person and um, I like to take things slow. <laughs> Who knows, I might be single at the end of the week, so if um, they're here listening to me. So this one is called Slow Down. Of course it's easy. If you if you can even home, I would fucking love that. Okay, here we go. Sex in the day 
again and again and again and there must be something I like to exclude myself from everything and who else me I don't think my lost friends don't even blink this is what I say this is what I say to what I say. I'll push everyone away and say, see, I told you so. And now, girl, you're on your own. And I try to change my ways. Apologize every day for the person I left them. For the person that I, I always made. I don't No more sympathy, no more sympathy Help me, brother, please Help me, brother, please Help me, brother, please No more sympathy a sham, but sometimes it's grand. Fuck No more sympathy
Thanks very much. Thank you. <laughs> I only wrote that tonight, so thank you. Okay, um, I don't know what to sing you for a last song. I really don't know, so... I don't, uh, would you like me to sing a screamy song or um, a screamy song or a quiet song? I'm all up for both, so... Go screamy. A mixture of both. Fucking hell, you don't ask for much, like... Sound okay? <laughs> yes! Come on! <laughs> Alright, this one is... Um, it's about a friend of mine, and I always, I every time I sing this song, I break a couple of strings because the fucker is out to get me. Because it's about him. It's a friend I had, and we used to be like, you know. <coughs> and um, anyway, it's about him. He did a right job on me, so this is about him. I'm a quite a pleasant person, so don't marry me on this song, okay? So this one is called Sorry You Bet Me. I don't hate men. You can make good reason to feel this way. You got a beautiful language, we got nothing to say. Now, what do you think of that? Do you think that I'm a lost little girl? You can make good reason to hate you in such a ways. You're seeing beautiful things that make me. Crawl on it if I never let you down, no You just seem to let me down for the fun But you always saw you met me Boy You make me go on you make me go, you make me go down You make me go down on You had a small personality And an even smaller brain Baby, I don't see a thing Then when you made me hold your hand Like you were someone God child You be sorry about me boy You be sorry about me boy Cause you know you better Get your ugly face Out of my home I just wanna see you no more You be sorry about me Boy you made me, you made me, you made me hold your hand. You made me sing in your shadow. I don't wanna be nobody's, nobody's little girl. 
made me sing your songs like I didn't have any of my own. You'll be sorry you met me, boy. You'll be sorry you met me, boy. Cause I know you're bad. I got your ugly face. Out of my home, I just want to say no more. You'll be sorry you met me, Thank you.